0: All right, well, good morning, Mercy Union County. It is good to be with you. Uh, If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Church. Uh, There are so many uh, faces that I have known since the beginning of our church. Uh, It is so awesome. Joel, uh, the guy who's playing playing the keys, uh, believe it or not, I know he looks, there he is, I, I know he looks timid maybe, but he's actually a wild man. You need to get to know him. He's incredible. Uh, he's such a wild card, and in all of the best ways, right? Uh, and listen, there are if you're new with us, there are people in this church that are just filled with wisdom and that just love Jesus and are a little bit wild like my friend Joel. Uh, so uh, thank you all for being here. It's so good uh, to be with you. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be uh, in a familiar passage in the Bible, Luke chapter 2. And in this true story, we're going to be looking at the birth of, and the circumstances around Jesus' birth. And if you're new to church and, and new to this uh, story of Jesus' birth, I'm really excited uh, for you to peek into this beautiful story. We're really glad that you are here to hear it. Uh, but for those of you who grew up hearing this story, it might seem rather familiar. And in the Christian life, we believe I believe that we need to love the familiar things of Scripture. I mean, we really need to love it because I think there's a temptation— in the Christian life, to undervalue what's familiar and exclusively move on to what's new. It's like, oh, I've already learned this about God, so I'm ready to graduate and move on to the actual important things of of Scripture and the important things about God. Now listen, do we need to learn new things about the Lord? Yes, all the time. I hope that even happens this morning, but I want to plead with you to never move past or forget what's been familiar to you in the Christian life. And that's why during this Advent season, we go through the same stories of the Gospels. Why? It's because we need it. We need the familiar and we need it because our hearts are so, so forgetful, are they not? Well, and it's kind of ironic, isn't it? The thing that we're so familiar with, like the story of Jesus' birth over time, can become unfamiliar if we don't look at it enough. I mean, look at it this way. You know, let's say a friend comes up to you and says, you know, and, and, and it's like, hey, Sally and Herman, uh, I don't know why I picked those days, but but hey, Sally and Herman, I heard that you go to church. So could you answer this question for me? Why was Jesus born? Why was he born? And then why did, why did he, you know, why did he come? You know, uh, you know, interesting question. So here, group participation, okay? Really quickly, here's what I want you to do. You, you might be new to worship church. You might have been here a while. So group participation. I want you to go to your neighbor really quickly. I got 15 seconds. I believe in you, okay? And I want you to answer that question. Why did Jesus come? Ready, set, go. Great. Okay. Awesome. I hear so many great theological truths uh, going on right now. All right. So by a show of hands, really quickly, by a show of hands, how many of you said something to the effect, you know, not pur- like something to the effect of Jesus came to save us from our sins. Okay. Great. That's awesome because that is, that, that's the answer. All right. That is the exact answer. It's the exact reason he came. But for many of us, we're so familiar with this answer that it's the only answer we have. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if it's the only answer you have, it's not going to be enough to carry you through life. Think, think about it this way. I remember my math teachers in high school and in college would tell me uh, that I needed to show my work. hated that. That's the, that was the worst thing. And I would protest and I'd be like, yeah, but, but look, I got the answer right. I didn't get the answer right most of the time. But, but, you know, but the point they were trying to make was that by showing my work, I was able to prove not only that I knew the answer, but that I understood the concept. Showing my work explained how I got the answer and proved that I knew the answer was true. And I was going to need to understand that concept and come back to it over and over again if I was going to do any kind of math in the future because math... Builds upon itself, and guess what? So does the Christian life. Some of us in the in the room know the answer of why Jesus came, but you don't know how to show your work on why you're confident in that answer. And I think if we're going to follow Jesus with all of our lives, we're going to need to move past this. We're going to need to know more than this easy believeism understanding of why Jesus came. Because here's the deal: life is hard. Is it not? Life is hard. You know, I, I've been in ministry for 13 years and y'all, I've seen some things. I've seen people in pain. I've seen people in sin. I've seen people that are worrying about their future and uncertain about what's gonna happen with their life. And in because listen, in our darkest hours, we need to understand the full picture of why God sent his son to be born as a baby. Because there are going to be days that are so dizzyingly difficult, so wild in your life, so, like, you didn't know this was going to happen, so hard, that you're going to need to be able to pull from the depths of your soul the simple reason why Jesus came. So here's what we're going to do today. the story. We're going to go through the story of Jesus in Luke 2, 1 through 7, because I believe it's going to help us understand the concept of why Jesus came so that we can trust Jesus with our entire lives. We're gonna walk through the text and and I'm gonna point out just a few things in the story about Jesus' birth and then we're gonna zoom out a little bit to highlight some ways that we need to trust Jesus with our life. So here's the main idea for us. I want you to write this down. Jesus came so we could trust him with our pain, our sin, and our future. Jesus came so we could trust him with our pain, our sin, and our future. All right, so let's get going. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All right, so let's stop here for a moment. So if you know anything about world or church history, Caesar Augustus uh, was the emperor of Rome and Quirinius was one of his governors. and he was tasked with executing... Uh, this decree in the region. And basically, all we need to know about these guys, these are not good dudes, okay? These are not these are not stand-up citizens serving their country. No, 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 they were tyrants. You know, Caesar came to power through some pretty bloody wars. You know, this decree was basically a political power move that he was making. You know, as the new emperor, he he, he wanted to exploit the people. And he wanted to do it in two ways. He wanted to know how big his kingdom was so that he could tax them like crazy. And then second, so that just in case he wanted to go to war again, he knew how many people he could call to go to war with him. Right? So here's what, listen, this it was a wild time. Okay? It, it, you know, this, it, it's not like this was just a good old day to be born into. No, no, no. This was a wild time. And guess what? This is the context that Jesus chose to be born into. He was born into a dark, broken, and painful world. He wasn't being born into a nice and sweet time to be alive. He was born into darkness and chaos. And also, not only that, he entered into our world of pain. And this came after 400 years of silence from God. God had not heard, or the people of God, Israel, had not heard from God for over 400 years. 400 years since God had spoken to his people and God's people were, were watching the chaos unfold. And much like us, we, you know they were wondering, like we often do, God, where are you? Right, like, where was God? But little did they know he was orchestrating the greatest salvation story ever possible. Jesus was born into a painful time. All right, verse three. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged, uh, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. All right, here's where things start to get pretty wild. Okay, so remember, Luke, the author of this gospel, he's acting as a as a historian here. And we see that uh, everyone went to their own town uh, to be registered. Joseph had to leave Galilee from Nazareth to Bethlehem for this registration because he was from the line of David. He was an ancestor of King David. Don't miss what's happening here. Here's what we know of what's going on. This is fulfilling a prophecy coming from Micah 2 and and Amos 11 and 1 Samuel 17. The Messiah was the, the one who was supposed to be Born and and to save Israel, he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, David's city. That's what the prophecy said. But what's the problem? The problem is that Mary and Joseph, they're not there. They're in Galilee. But that's no problem for the Lord, no biggie. He'll just orchestrate a decree uh, and a registration of one of the largest empires in history to get one man and one woman to the exact city they needed to be in order to fulfill his promises. Church, that is amazing. Our God is really, really big. Church, in this moment right here is the moment that God had been moving toward since the beginning of time. Micah 2 says that the baby was to be born in Bethlehem, the one who would be the ruler in Israel, whose coming is from of old, of ancient, of days. Basically what that's saying is that all the Old Testament prophecies are pointing to this moment. You know, a moment moment like Genesis 3.15. The promise that God made to Adam and Eve, our, our first father and mother. That from the woman, from her line, would be born a Messiah and he would save the world from their sins. And then it promised to the devil that, that one day that child would destroy him. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is not any old baby. It's not. This is the promised one. This is the one that all of history has been waiting for, the Messiah that would save the world from their sins. Verse six, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger. I love the humanity there, wrapped him tightly in cloth because there was no guest room available for them. So Mary and Joseph made their way about 100 miles to Bethlehem, and Mary goes into labor and and they can't find a place to stay. They can't find a place to stay, so they had to stay in a manger because there weren't any hotels that had any openings. Think about how absurd that is. That is just absurd. Jesus is God. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the creator of the universe. So remember Genesis 1 when, 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 God, when there was once nothing and then God spoke things into existence, God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that. Yeah, that guy. That's who can't find a place to stay right now. Don't miss the picture here. Jesus is the king of the universe and there's no doubt about it, but he wasn't coming as a warrior king. He came as a humble needy, and a helpless baby. That's unbelievable. He came as a humble servant. I remember hearing a, a former agnostic uh, professor who was um, reading the Bible for the first time, and, and she, was, she was an English professor, so she understood literature, and she was reading the Old Testament, and then she got to the New Testament, reading about the birth of Christ, and she thought to herself, you know, This must be true because this is not how I would have done it if I were God, right? This can't be a book of fiction, she said to herself, because no one would write it this way. Why would the writer write something, you know, like so seemingly meaningless? Well, the problem is that this is true, (laughs) No, 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 Jesus's birth gives us a glimpse into what the future of his ministry would look like, which is humble service. And it gives us a picture of what our lives should look like too. Okay, so some of you have heard this before, but I, I believe it's important for us to continue to build upon the concept of why Jesus was born. You know, going back to our math illustration, um, fun story, I, I texted my mom, uh, yesterday. And I was like, mom, you're not going to believe it. Uh, I'm giving a math illustration in the middle of my sermon. And she says, there is a God. Uh, so, um, so we're going to continue to build upon, build upon our faith because in Jesus's time, just like in our time, we live in a broken world. And as a pastor, I've sat with many of you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sin, the midst of a future that might seem unknown to you. And some of what you are going through right now is going to require a deep trust in Jesus in order for you to get through it. And some of you are in pain right now and you don't even know how you're going to get through to tomorrow. Some of you are caught up in your sin and you feel like you can't break free. And for some of you, you're anxious and worried about what God has for the rest of your life. And if you're in that situation in any of those situations right now, I want you to lean in because I have good news for you. This is why Jesus came. He came for you in this moment right now. Did he come to die on the cross to save you from your sins? Yes and amen. But he also came for this for you to meet you where you are right now. That's good news. That is great news. So here's the first thing I think the Lord wants us to see about his birth and what it means for us. And it means that we need to trust him. You need to trust him with your pain. You need to trust him with your pain. Mercy Church, you can trust him. Well, how? Well, look at the circumstances he was born into. He chose one of the darkest periods of history to be born. Pain was all around him. His parents were scared teenagers. He was born into into political turmoil and there was confusion from God's people as to where he was. It was the place, that's the place that God chose to enter into their pain. He could have chose a lot of periods and he chose that one. Church, he entered into our mess. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Listen to me. God is not indifferent to your pain. Some of you might be asking, God, are you there? Are you even listening to me, Lord? Don't you see what's happening here right now? I know I've cried that. The story of Jesus shows us that if God came down to earth, he did it for a reason. And one of those reasons is that he came to identify with your pain. I mean, think about it this way. John Stott, a, a theologian, speaking about this passage, he said, he said, in a world full of suffering and pain, I can't imagine following a God that's immune to it. That is a great point. And I think that's important for us to think about because let me, let me ask you this. What if Jesus never came down? Have you ever thought about that before? Like, what if he never came down here? What if he was never born as a baby? My guess is, is that we'd struggle to follow a God who was unwilling to go where we've been. We can trust him with our pain because he was a man just like us. Let's look at what Isaiah 53 says. You know, I remember growing up, I used to, I don't know, I had all these like imagined thoughts of of what I imagined Jesus was probably like. And as a kid, I was like, ah, oh, he's probably jacked, right? Just huge, really good looking, You know, like I'm going to look one day and, and, but then you read a passage like Isaiah 53 and you're like, oh, he didn't look anything like I thought. He was just a normal guy. If we saw him in a crowd, we'd probably miss him. Look what Isaiah 53 says. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or or majesty that we should look at him. There's nothing like about his physical appearance that we would take notice of. You know, no appearance that we should desire him. If he was standing amongst us, we'd probably miss him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. He was easy to overlook and just throw away and cast aside. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and he, he, by his wounds, we are healed. Amen. Jesus was born into this world so that he could identify with our pain. This passage shows us that he suffered every source of pain that you have. There is not, listen to this, there is not a circumstance of pain that you could live through that he has not also experienced. This is important for you to know because I've seen many people walk away from Jesus in seasons of pain. And some of us ask, how how could that be possible? That person, they knew Jesus, how how, how is this possible? Well, they knew the answer, but they didn't fully understand the concept of why Jesus came. They know that Jesus died to, 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 or he came to live a perfect life and to die a death on the cross, but they missed that Jesus was also a man of sorrow and suffering. He understands. And we have this Advent season to remind us that he was born as a human being so that he could suffer the same pain that you are going through right now so that he could minister to you where you are right now. Whether it's sickness, weakness, cancer, Jesus knows. Jesus doesn't minister, listen to this. He didn't, it's not like Jesus is up there like, hey, I understand the concept of pain. No, he doesn't just understand the concept of it. He knows it experientially because he came down and lived among us. Does that make sense? And he did it so that we could trust him in our pain. Here's the second thing I believe the Lord wants us to see is that we could trust him with your sin. Church, trust him. Trust him with your sin. For many of us, it may not be the suffering of the world or 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 the suffering in our lives that we need to hear today. Maybe you look at what, you, what has become of your life and all you see is the results of the sinful mistakes that you've made. Maybe you haven't been able to trust him with your sin because you couldn't possibly believe that God would love someone like you. You might have heard that Jesus came to save you from your sin, but you need to build upon that concept further. And if that's you, you need to see And what I'm so encouraged by in the scriptures is that God almost exclusively uses messed up people as a part of his mission. All throughout the scriptures, you look at the cast of characters that he uses, it is wild. You wouldn't hire him. (laughs) If you're hiring somebody, you wouldn't do it. But guess what? He calls those people. He calls you. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He draws you near. And he moved all of history to make this possible. Let's look at how he did that. I'm we'll going skip to verse three. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house. In the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Okay, so in order for you to trust Jesus with your sin, you're going to want to pay attention here because God pulled out all of the stops. Pay attention to verse four. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to the city of David because he was from the family line of David. So listen. According to God's promises, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, the Messiah, the one who was to come to save the world from its sins, was to be born from the family line of David in Bethlehem, David's city. But the problem is they're hundreds of miles away. As I mentioned earlier, God is in control of it all. A hundred miles is nothing to God. Here's the good news for us is that God is a pretty darn good multitasker. Here's what's amazing. I'm sure you've thought about this before. Isn't it awesome how God can talk to you, hear your prayers, you know, minister to you with all of his attention and all of his might in the same way that he ministers to you and all with all of his attention and all of his might all at the same time. He is all powerful. And right here in this story, we're all playing checkers and he's playing chess. Right, He is moving all of the pieces so that his son could be at the right city at the right time to fulfill thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament. And do you know why he did that? One of those reasons is to save you. One day, a couple thousand years later, he knew you would hear the gospel and you would put your faith in him. And that is because our God can do all that he pleases. And he wants you this morning. But we got to keep building on this concept. We saw earlier that we could trust him with our pain because he can identify with our pain. He wasn't just born, uh, you know, for that reason. He was also born as a, and lived as a human so he could identify with our sin, right? He he was born so he could identify with our pain, but he was also born so that he could identify with our sin. Well, let's look at Hebrews 4, verses 15 through 16. For we don't have a high priest, By high priest, it's like a a representative uh, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect, so in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These verses are telling us that no matter what you are going through right now, Jesus understands. We don't have a God or a representative who's not who's unable to, to understand our weaknesses. Listen, Jesus has felt the tug of, of, has felt every tug of sin that we have. He's just like us in that regard. He's felt it all. He knows what it means to be tempted and tested. And this means that we're in, when we are in the middle of being tempted and tested to do something that we shouldn't, we can have confidence that Jesus can sympathize with us. We can say, Jesus, I know that you know where I am right now. I'm, one, I'm wanting to do the thing. I know that I shouldn't. God, help me. I know that you know where I've been. You know where I am. I know you understand how hard it is to say no to this temptation. He is just like us in that way. Tempted. But on the other side of the coin... He's not like us at all. Because when he was tempted, he didn't cave into sin. That means that he knows the way out and he can help you. First Corinthians 10, 13 says it this way. No temptation has come upon us or upon you except what is common to humanity. So no sins come upon you except what is common. So what that's saying here is sin and temptation to sin is common all of humanity. So if you feel weird or you feel like you're gross or disgusting because you've got this sin temptation, guess what? You're just like everybody else. That's a good thing. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out that you may be able to bear it. You can trust him because there is no temptation or test that he hasn't felt, but he was without sin. But I think a good question for us to ask, but why is it important that Jesus was sinless? Have you ever asked that question? It's an important one, and here's why. Our God is a good and a just God. That means that he must, he has to, he must punish sin. And in in order for him to be a good God, he has to do that, categorically. To be a good God, he has to punish sin. So, Because if he didn't punish sin and he's good, that means he wouldn't be good anymore. I think a a helpful way to think about it is a little bit of an extreme example. Uh, Bear with me. Let's say your grandmother's walking down the street and then someone robbed her and took her life. Extreme, yes. Then imagine with me that that person went on trial for this crime and then the judge just said, eh, I think I'm going to let you go. Would that be a good judge? No, absolutely not. And in the same way, a good God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. The fact that Jesus was sinless made it to where only he he was the possible substitute for our sins. He had no sin of his own that needed to be paid for. He's the only substitute that could have paid it for us on the cross. And instead of punishing you and me, instead of punishing us because we are sinners, God poured out all of his anger onto Jesus instead of us. What you need to hear this morning is that that is radical love for you. Radical love for you. We are saved because Jesus, the sinless one, took our sin on the cross. So in order for that to be true, we have to trust him with our sin. So he wants us to trust him with our, with our pain, with our sin. And the last reason is so that you could trust him with your future. So let's look back at verses six and seven. You know, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Joseph and Mary had a lot of uncertainty about their future, right? God's people faced a lot of uncertainty as well. And many of you are in that place facing uncertainty. But the circumstances of Jesus's birth show us that we can trust him. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus wasn't born into a palace, but into a manger and lying, probably lying in a horse trough. You know, he allowed himself to be born into a tumultuous time when the future of God's people was unclear. And he did that so that he could meet you in the unknowns of your future. Even though Joseph and Mary didn't know a lot, they didn't know what their future was going to hold. They didn't know it entirely. They did know one thing, and they knew it really clearly. They knew that they were to serve the Lord. And the same is true for us. We may not know a lot, but we know that we are to serve the Lord. The example that Jesus gave us in his birth is that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. This passage foreshadows for us what the rest of Jesus's ministry would look like. You know, he wasn't going to be this warrior leader who would come and conquer, but a humble and servant leader. He fed thousands. He met people in their pain, like the paralytic. He met people in their sin, like the woman caught in adultery. With the disciples, he called them to leave their nets, to leave their jobs, to leave all of their security, everything that they put their hope in just to follow him. God knows where you are. Your future is what Jesus' future was and it was to serve. You are to do like he did. And Jesus wants you to give your life away. The birth of Christ shows us that God kept thousands of years of promises in order to meet you, in your pain, to meet you in your sin and to give you a hope for your future here on earth but also hope eternal that one day you will be with him when you pass. So as I close, I'm gonna call the band to to come up and I want you to bow your head and close your eyes where you are. So here's what I wanna do. I want us to acknowledge that we, we need Christmas, do we not? Like we need it. We need this reminder. We realize that this easy believism of, of Jesus just came to die for my sins, even though that's 100% true. For many of us, we need to see that Christ can identify with our pain, our sin, and our hopes for a future. So here's what I want to do. What I'm going to ask you to do is going to be a little bit bold, and maybe something you haven't done at church before, but that's okay, right? Here's what I want you to do as you bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Maybe you are the person who needs to trust Jesus with your pain. You know, you've heard this message and you're in pain right now and you're trying to figure out how you're gonna get through it. If that's you, and you are confessing this morning to God, Lord, I need to trust you with my pain. Here's what I want you to do I just want you to stand up right where you are. Nobody's looking, and it doesn't even matter if they were. Just stand up right where you are. Or maybe there's others of you that, you know, maybe it's not that you're in a moment of pain right now. But maybe you need, you know you need to trust him with your sin. You're entangled right now. You don't know how to get out. But Jesus came to identify with your sin, to know what you've been going through to help you to get out. And you need to tell him, Lord, I need to trust you with my sin. If that's you, just take a bold step. Stand up right now. Just take a stand. And then lastly, maybe, maybe there are people in this room that you look to your future and you're uncertain of what that's going to look like. Maybe all you know is that you're to serve him. And maybe as a posture of faith that you know God's going to show up for you, maybe you need to stand up right now And trust him with your future. Amen. Amen. God, we believe that you came to identify with us. We believe that you came to enter into our pain, enter into our sin, enter enter into the future that we don't even know about. And God, we just give these back to you. Because if you came down here in the way that you did, that we know then that we can trust you. So God, we surrender all these things. Lord, we love you. And as we continue to worship, Lord, I pray that we would just give it all to you right now. Pray this Christ in your name. Amen.